What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. The iPhone XR is here at T-Mobile, and there's a whole lot to love, like those perfect portrait mode selfies you're going to share. Nice. And how emojis now turn every FaceTime with the kids into fun time. <laughs> in fact, the only thing you'll love more than your iPhone XR is getting it included in the price when you get an unlimited plan. That's right. Get both unlimited and iPhone XR included for just 40 bucks a month. Sure, you can get unlimited somewhere else. But for the same price at T-Mobile, you get unlimited and iPhone XR. Join today and get iPhone XR included with your unlimited plan for just 40 bucks a line for four new lines. Call 1-800-T-MOBILE or visit a store today. $30 for essentials plus $10 for iPhone XR with auto pay and qualifying trade-ins via 36 bill credits. Customers may notice lower speeds and further reduction if using more than 50 gigs per month. Video at 480p for well-qualified buyers plus taxes and fees. Contact us before canceling or remaining balances due. Qualifying service and finance agreements required. Zero down plus $20.84 per month for 36 months. Full price $749.99, 0% APR. Take the baseline out. Uh-huh. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Hardwood Knox podcast. Uh, we have a. I'm here with Andy Bailey, almost as always. Uh, I am Dan Valley, in case you didn't know that. We have a depressing episode for you today because we're going to talk about the conference finals, which have been not competitive. I don't. They haven't even really been fun, um, unwatchable for the most part. Zaza Pachulia ruined the Western Conference Finals. LeBron is ruining the Eastern Conference Finals because he's too damn good. Um, I'm pretty depressed. How are you doing, Bailey? <laughs> I'm actually, I told you this before we started recording, last night's game was actually kind of fun for me. We're recording this on a Saturday. Um, so this is after the Cavaliers just demolished the Celtics in game two. Skydiving. This is amazing. Yeah, but you know what else is amazing? An iPhone 6S for just 49 bucks at Metro. Really? Imagine streaming all the way down with that amazing camera. I'm switching. That's smart. You know what else is smart? Parachutes. Woo! Switch to Metro and get an amazing iPhone 6S for only 49 bucks. Metro by T-Mobile. Phone offer requires port in of number not currently active on T-Mobile Network or active on Metro in past 90 days. See store for details and terms and conditions of that series and I I get where everybody's coming from like it's not competitive and I can see why that makes this maybe a little less fun but just for the sake of seeing something I hadn't seen before I I enjoyed last night's game I mean every 10 points that the lead got bigger in the first half I was just laughing I I was thinking I've, I've never seen a barrage like this in my life let alone in the conference finals um it just, it seemed, it, it was as much of a whooping as I think I've ever seen. And it just became almost comical to me at, at a certain point. So there was entertainment for, value for me, at least in that game. Um, I, I, I'm glad you introduced the Western Conference Finals as being ruined by Zaza because I do think that one would have been competitive. Uh, I think we, we've mentioned on earlier uh, episodes of the podcast that we didn't think the Spurs had a chance. I know I didn't. Um, and so I was actually pleasantly surprised by the the way that game one started. Uh, San Antonio was up 25 at one point, and I think it's almost indisputable that if that if Kawhi doesn't go down, they they end up winning that game. And who knows what happens from there? Maybe Golden State just responds and wins in blowout fashion anyway in game two. But at least we'd have a series. I mean, one one is a lot better than um, just an inevitability that it that it seems to be now. So. That series, I think, could have been a lot more fun. But um, once again, the, the Warriors <laughs> catch a little bit of a break. So now it, it just looks like basically what people were complaining about from the moment Kevin Durant signed this summer, that uh, it's just going to be Warriors and Cavs, which all along, I haven't that, that hasn't really been an issue to me. I actually think the trilogy is kind of cool. I, I think it'll be cool to see the tiebreaker. 
Um, I think it's good when there's powerhouses to to sort of form rivalries rivalries against each other. So, all in all, I'm not sure it's a bad thing. They would win that series with the Warriors, but when you look at what they're doing right now, and the offense is just, the ball is moving so quickly. Uh, In Game 2 specifically, it was just whipping around. Half court, full court, didn't matter. It was just going places. Um, And if if they're going to do this, like they're going to play like this, and LeBron is going to be this version of LeBron... It certainly will make the NBA Finals interesting, and, and maybe that's the the silver lining of Celtics Cavaliers and sort of the beatdown it's become. I never thought the Celtics were going to win. I just thought we were going to get a few competitive games. Like, that. that's what I thought. And to not even get one so far, I, the fact that the Cavaliers only won game one by 13 is almost a failure by their by there because like they were ahead by 28 like it was just like i think they definitely took their foot off the gas right but i'm just saying i I don't think there was anything to be encouraged about for boston like you you, you seldom look at a score where a team wins by 13 points and you're like oh wow like it was that close like because it just felt and even even the even uh game two like the fact that the celtics got to 86 points was like shocking to me yeah once again they just I think once Cleveland gets the game in hand, they just kind of put it into cruise control. And they got the game in hand like halfway through the second quarter. That was the crazy thing. Yeah, I actually thought Ty Lue kept his, his like key guys in way too long. Well, yeah, I wondered about that too. I, I thought he was – I don't think the starters came out until there was two minutes left in the third quarter, which was kind of weird. Um, it, I mean <laughs> – I guess there's something to be said for staying in rhythm. They haven't played a lot this this postseason because they've had to wait for other series to wrap up, and um, maybe you want to keep them in rhythm. But there's also the risk of getting them hurt. Obviously, I, I think to your first point, um, yes, I do think Cavs Warriors is going to be more competitive than I originally thought. I, I always kind of gave Cleveland a chance because of what I saw last year from LeBron. Um, Overcoming that three-one deficit, the way that he did, and really keeping them in in a making the series semi-competitive the year before when it was basically just him, I, I'm done doubting him. For, first of all, uh, I heard a really cool or a good comparison from I think his name is Ben Anderson. He he's on the Salt City Hoops show, and he said, "Just replace LeBron James' name with Michael Jordan." and if if this was Michael Jordan going up against the Warriors, don't you think more people would say, yeah, they have a chance? And uh, I think that's true with LeBron. To me, he's already playing. I, I, I've been on a couple Twitter rants about this <laughs> in you the last a week or so. Rant? No. <laughs> I think he's already passed Michael Jordan. So this isn't a hard like leap for me to make. I I think he's clearly the best player in the world right now. I think he has a pretty strong case to be the best ever. So just that alone makes me think, yeah, Cleveland has a chance. I, I know that <laughs> Golden State is is significantly better at several matchups, but he is just sort of the ultimate trump card right now. Do you know what I think doesn't, aside from the ring count, um, that doesn't help LeBron, is he doesn't... When is he really, how many times, of of all these times he's been to the NBA Finals, how many times has he entered as, like, the true favorite? Probably the series they lost to the Mavericks, and I'll say definitely the one they won against the Thunder, and maybe the first one, like, maybe both the series they entered with the Spurs, but, like, those those finals matchups with San Antonio, uh, all three of them were, were more like toss-ups and I don't think Jordan ever had that the teams he were I on feel were like always so unquestionably indomitable and I don't think you could almost say that would support LeBron's case though because everybody cites the fact that Jordan went 6-0 and in the finals as like the big winning point of the argument but LeBron I think is playing better teams in the finals well so one I think LeBron's the greatest player we've ever seen I'm, I'm right there with you I don't think it's a question anymore but I'm saying like be, like because Jordan's record's so squeaky clean is because he was on like the Bulls were never an underdog in either of those six finals, and it's just LeBron's. The narrative seems to be a little bit different because the Warriors exist or the Spurs are just so good, um, and and he's played on great teams. This isn't saying necessarily that LeBron never had enough help and that he's done all this anyway. 
but mm-hmm. there have been times where he didn't have enough help. But his teams have never been, and I think that ruins some of the lore for people who don't look deep enough into it. I I agree with you. It could it should probably buttress his case at this point. Yeah, that's what I think. Because how many ti- how many titles has he won as the true favorite? The Thunder one in 2012? Like Definitely I, that one, yeah. Um, and, I, I can't think of another one other than that. So, and I the, mean, you'd give every other opponent he had a fighting chance. Right. And, and I, if he beats this team, I, I think that's... Twice? That's like, like, it's just... Huge that's the that's his favor. Yeah, there's no, like... MJ won't... His argument will will look flimsy if LeBron beats the Warriors yeah, this year. There, there's no team that he beat in the finals that comes close to what this Warriors team is. Right, and so it's probably good because the Warriors are going to be, just looking at the talent on the roster, the Warriors are going to be at that level that we've seen the Cavs at. So it's probably, it's good for the finals that seemed inevitable that the Eastern Conference finals aren't going to be competitive because if they were, that's probably a red flag for Cleveland. It's just, it's annoying to watch. I didn't have a problem necessarily with the first two rounds because we had more games, but when you're yeah. when you're literally just tied to one game a night and these two different series, it it's annoying to see that they haven't been competitive. And I don't think I think Zaza Pachulia is a dirty player. I don't think his play was dirty, or not, at least not malicious. And it, it's just annoying to know that he, you know, LeBron ruining the Eastern Conference Finals is a joke, but he's he's actually ruining them because he's yeah, so good with his play. Yeah, yeah. Um, Zaza Pachulia like doing like, injuring Kwai. It's just it's. It's annoying. It's just the word for it because I think the Spurs. We talked about this the last podcast. We were it was the day before Game One, and we both said if there was a game uh, that the Spurs were going to win, and maybe not only that game, but if there was a situation in which they were going to shock make people, it a and make series. A series, yeah, it was because they won Game One and they were on pace to do that. The Warriors don't win that game if Kawhi doesn't. Uh, if Kawhi yeah, doesn't get I it. think for sure because he didn't go down until the end of the third quarter. Right. And they were up about twenty at that point. Yeah, they ripped off an eight. The Warriors ripped off an eighteen to zero run after that. So, it's like that part's frustrating, and and it's almost. I guess you could say it's even encouraging. I'm kind of thinking it this way because the the Western Conference Finals shouldn't be, the gap shouldn't be this huge, because if Kawhi yeah, was healthy, I, maybe it wouldn't. Uh, at the same time, maybe it would. <laughs> so it's just. Yeah, it's, there's no way to know for sure, but I I think there's a pretty strong argument to be made that it would have it would have at least been a series i mean there was times during that the opening of that game one where i just it, it looked like Kawhi leonard was the best player in the series and i think i think there was an argument to be made for that um so i still i mean i still would have been pretty confident picking the warriors but i had seen enough before he got hurt to say oh this is actually going to be a pretty good series um never never doubt the spurs type of thing. And I'm glad you made the distinction between malicious and dirty with the Zaza play. Um, I'm probably not ready to say one way or the other, whether it was malicious. I definitely think it's a dirty play though. (laughs) It's just like, it's something that every basketball player, especially one who's as experienced as someone who's been in the NBA for a few years, that you, you know, you just don't do that. They, they need to. It needs to be a flagrant. Like absolutely, I, it I know people. Be a common foul anymore. I know people say that for it to be flagrant, it, like the intent has to be there. But they they don't call fl- like there are flagrant fouls where it's like, well, he clearly yeah, didn't mean to hit him in the head. Is, uh, yeah. yeah. So it needs to be a flagrant, and it, it, you can have the option of upgrading it to a flagrant too if it's like deliberate. But it. We saw it the game after game two. Aldridge kind of did the same thing to Durant. To Durant, yeah. So that's I just and don't. It was like I, the extra step at, at the end on his too. Right. The the play itself is dirty just because you need to be aware of it more. And for but the NBA has to give an incentive to the players to care. If that's just going to be a common foul, you're not going to co- like think about it. You're not going to be cognizant of it. There, there's worse plays that Pachulia has made with more malicious intent. I, I don't think that was his intent. I just. I don't think there's a reason for players to care about invading a shooter's landing space, and especially yeah, it's not just a common foul. Maybe the wings are more aware of it because they're used to like being on the perimeter, and and they don't want it to happen to them. But bigs aren't who aren't used to closing out or defending in space. Like they're not going to give two craps. Uh, the NBA certainly needs to address that. It's I had a I had a teammate in college who was one of our big guys, and he did it constantly, like even to us in practice. It, it's it's 
one of the most infuriating, annoying things to experience as a basketball player. Wouldn't it be great? And we're, we're doing this on Saturday before game three. Kawhi is still questionable. I haven't seen anything to the he's, contrary. He's been ruled out. Oh, he has? I did not see yeah. that. Oh, well, that's I strange. think I just saw that within the last half hour, maybe. So I, I, it's almost like they've waved. <laughs> they're putting up the white flag on this series, which is sad. And I, I have no idea the extent of Kawhi's injury. I haven't really looked past headlines today. Um, but even if it's something that he could, like, got through, I kind of understand not. <laughs> As weird as that sounds. I mean, the the guy's still in his... How old is he? Like 25? He's, he's got yep, 25. a lot of battles left to fight over the course of his career. It's it's probably not worth aggravating or the, injuring The only else. way he comes back in this series is if they win game three. Yeah. That's, it's honestly the only... Because if you're down 3-0, even if he's good to go, screw it. Why would yeah, you? Yeah, there's no reason. Yeah. Pop, Pop waved the white flag, though, after game one. It was It wasn't that... It wasn't that night. I think it was the next day. But when he went off on Pachulia, like, uh, he waved the white yeah, flag. Yeah, that kind of sounded like a concession. Even though he was mad the way his team, like, the Spurs played, he said they didn't believe after game two. But he, yeah. cl- he clearly didn't believe either. It was kind of funny. Uh, <laughs> I think all the reaction to his rant was justified when you draw it, the, uh, the parallel to Bruce Bowen. All of his righteous indignation after he ignored it for... <laughs> 15 years or however long Bowen was there. Right. He says he even made the, 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 like these days it's not allowed. So th- there's that disclaimer. Yeah. He tried but to that, cover his bases. <laughs> right, right. And it's not like tit for tat. Kawhi Leonard shouldn't, I felt terrible for Kawhi. I, I don't think it doesn't justify what happened to the Spurs, but there is that lingering irony of think about all those times Bruce Bowen really went up. Vince Carter. There, there's just film. I saw him. Yeah. I, I was going to say somebody put together a, uh, cut together a bunch of video of he did it to Carter like four or five times at least. Right. And Carter got pissed when they, when he was on the nets and Bowen did it. So there's just that irony. There was a, I I just listened to Bill Simmons pod from this week, um, this morning. And he was, he made a good point. He said that that, that was part of like Bowen's defensive strategy was he, he reached a point where he was in guys heads where if they caught the ball and Bowen was closing out there, there had to have been like, a little tiny thought. If I if I take a jump shot here, this guy's coming under my feet. Like that. That's how often he did it. <laughs> I, I had Spurs fans on Twitter when when I made that, and it was a joke. Like, I, if people, and this is probably not a good way to be, but if people read my writing, that they know that I'm not the troll that I am on Twitter. I'm just going to be <laughs> snarky about everything. And they came at me with it was one or two people said, "Yeah, but Bowen never targeted anybody with an injury." And I was like, Pachulia's oh, yeah, play right. was more innocent, one, than anything <laughs> Bowen ever did. Bowen two, was you don't. so dirty. And then when I brought up the Vince Carter stuff, and I was like, he like he repeatedly went after Carter. And he was like, yeah, but did he go after Carter's injury? And I was like, by the time Carter's with the Nets, he had a couple knee surgeries. Yeah. So, yes. It, it, oh, so they were saying Zaza's was worse because Kawhi's ankle was right. already hurt? It was in the moment, truthers. They were just upset <laughs> because Kawhi was injured by Pachulia. And, I, again, I don't think... The Bowen stuff, Spurs fans and the Spurs themselves today can't. We can't just say, "Well, they deserved it," because it's it's a different yeah. era, it's a different iteration, and one doesn't make the other okay. You're allowed to be upset what happened with Kawhi and Pachulia, but you can't claim that there's that that there's just no distinction. It's just yeah. So uh, it, that stuff was just funny because it's like, yes, I understand. Bowen was you very should... much like the heel from professional wrestling. Like he, he did go for people's weaknesses. I don't care what Spurs fans say. Yeah, I, it's just so. I, I just thought that was funny because, yes, I get it. Kawhi Leonard, it's not, it's, it's not fair to the Spurs. I guess is what I'm getting at. But it doesn't just don't try and be like, well, when Bowen did it, it was okay. Don't try and just be like, yeah, you know, he got away with it, and he did it in, like intentionally. Just say it. Cop to it. Yeah. It's over. You got like it's it's over. <laughs> yeah. I want to go back to a point you made way. Uh, I am way in back. favor of you always going back to my points. Okay. I have so many good ones. <laughs> you said so. We already addressed um, Cavaliers crushing the Celtics makes the finals a little bit more tantalizing. Um, I think we also started, or you also started to get into a little bit how. This series, you thought it would be more competitive, uh, just that Boston would put up a better fight. 
And my question concerning that is, obviously, this isn't competitive. What does this mean for Boston going forward? For me, it's like, why even make the Jimmy Butler type of trade now? You don't. You see what I'm saying? Like, what, what's the point? And, you know, it's fun to come together with packages, and I think we have to talk about them because it's, it's possible. Like, Yeah, it's, it's still in play. Uh, it's just, I, I at the trade deadline, I was in favor of them standing pat, and I think them reaching the Eastern Conference Finals, that kind of vindicated them for standing pat, and I wrote about that immediately after it happened, and now they're being vindicated even more by getting torched by the Cavaliers because yeah. one of Paul George like or Jimmy made the Butler right doesn't make up... It, yeah, it doesn't make up the difference. Your ceiling is the same then. Maybe you push it to a game five. But Jimmy Butler, we'll just say Butler because uh, he would have been the probably... I think the, he would help de- more, yeah. Just defensively. He'd be harder to fit in offensively, but you the defense would just be incredible. He doesn't make up a 50-point deficit. He doesn't make up a 28-point <laughs> deficit. Like he don't, So instead of trailing by 28 in game one, you trail by 18, maybe. Yeah. So it's just... And now, what's, moving forward... I think that this is – it almost makes it easier for the Celtics that they're getting creamed because if you – even if you got swept and it was like the Pacers where every game was close or you pushed it to a game six like the Raptors last year, maybe you have an incentive to go into free agency and try and get an impact guy, even if it's not Gordon Hayward, and you you sign a max or, or, or near-max guy because it's possible. There's a lot of gymnastics involved, but they're all pretty easy and it's possible – you sign, let's say you sign Hayward, figure out a way to do that, and then you turn around and you try and trade for Jim, Jimmy Butler because Paul George wouldn't make sense then. Those two players don't make up the gap for you now because it's just so large. And maybe they would if we're looking two, three years down the line when LeBron's maybe human at the age of 35, but you're paying these guys all that, all that money. You might as well let these prospects just develop at this point and see what you have. And you brought this up before the podcast I love Isaiah Thomas. He's a fantastic offensive player, but you're not going to want a part of his next contract. And so yeah, I you can't tie your immediate window to him, or at least not your future window. You just keep those. Maybe if Fultz is going to be better, if that's who you wind up with, and there's a good, better than good chance that he's going to be better just because he's 6'4". Um, and he's, he's already a pretty good defender, and he's not going to be at a mismatch every single night. You, you have to plan for that future, and you have the luxury of being faux competitive now because looking at the East, there's no team that's in position to shake it up a lot for the better to reach this level. We're going to be talking if the Celtics stand pat, we're going to be talking about them in the same vein. Oh, could they get to the Eastern conference finals again? Yes. So you then, if then, if you keep yourself there, you're a LeBron injury away from reaching the finals. And and that's a, a crappy thing to say, but it's the truth. You stand pat. That's, Something happens to the Cavaliers. Maybe it's not even a LeBron injury. Maybe it's two injuries to, and I don't wish injuries on someone, but I'm saying that's what you put yourself in a position for. If you can be one big injury or two big injuries on the Cavaliers away from reaching the NBA Finals uh, while still having these potential cornerstones in place, you absolutely pick that route. And the other thing, uh, this is a long shot, but let's say the Cavaliers make it to the Finals and get absolutely destroyed by the Golden State Warriors. Do you honestly think that there's that there might not be some repercussions to that? That they're gonna if they if they get slaughtered, if it's five games, four games, those Kevin Love trade rumors are gonna be fired up again. Or maybe you all yeah, of a sudden hear true. about Kyrie Irving, Chris Paul signing trade rumors or something ridiculous. I'm not saying that's what would happen, but maybe the Cavaliers do something. And so to make themselves I don't want to say better, but if they shake something up, your chances either improve because you did nothing or they get worse because you did something and the Cavaliers have made this crazy move that makes them a better matchup for the Warriors anyway. So there, there's too much at play, and I think when you're this superficially close, you're, you're so close but far away. When you're in this situation, you're just tied to LeBron, you stamp pat and you develop, and that's where I sit with this. Yeah, I agree with Everything you said, I was one of the people around the trade deadline who was like, "Yeah, you, this is a deal you got to make." Um, I thought I thought Jay Crowder was being like crazy overvalued. Um, I thought the picks were being well, slightly overvalued, and then, but but what I'm going to say is, I I end up agreeing with you. I think they've been proven right. They um, still having this pick now is is something that's very valuable for them going forward. I floated this idea on Twitter. <laughs> maybe a week or so ago. And I, I really don't think you could sell it 
to Isaiah, not at this point in his career, but what if they draft Fultz um, and he's really good and he's a normal-sized point guard and you move Isaiah Thomas back to like a super sixth-man role, you have him play the last seven or eight minutes of every quarter, so he's still playing around 30 minutes a game. Half his time is coming against reserves now. Um, I think his defensive limitations are obviously a lot less of a problem if you do that. But like I said at the outset of this point is there's I, I really don't know if there's any way you can sell that to him now. I, I don't think you could. I, I'm not even. But maybe, doesn't that make sense? Like it does, but he probably doesn't close games, and that might be the biggest issue of all. Maybe he's willing. Well, to be- if you have him. You could literally just have him play the last seven or eight minutes of every quarter. Right. So he is closing the game. Well, can you have him close the game? Oh, okay. Okay. I see what you're saying. And so that's sort of what that comes back to. My guess is they'll try and see if Fultz and Isaiah can work together. Yeah, I'm sure they'll have to try that. But... I mean, even so, if you have if you're playing those two together, then all of a sudden Avery Bradley's not on the floor, and he's one of your best defenders. It's just I it, think if they go super small and play Fultz, Isaiah, Bradley, and Crowder with Horford, or, yeah, that'd be a like fun lineup. I, Crowder, it'd be a fun lineup, but yeah, there's there's going to be size <laughs> issues. So it's it that is a predicament, and the other predicament is Smart will be restricted free agent in 2018 with Isaiah and Avery Bradley also in need of new contracts in 2018. That'll be. I, I'm. I'm almost certain that will be like a big pivot point for them. They. I don't even. Do you pay two of those guys? And how do no, you? No, you probably I, have to just like turn all the focus to Fultz at that point. I'm guessing because I don't think they're going to be any closer to a title and then than they are now. I, I don't see LeBron slowing down for like five more years after what we've seen this postseason. Don't freaking jinx it! I would love that. <laughs> it's it's crazy. And I, I just was thinking this the other day, too. Like, even when he does slow down, I, a slowed-down version of LeBron James would still probably be, like, the best power forward in the NBA, right? Probably. What if he just decided to be, like, a like a stronger version of Kyle Korver who played defense? Just spot up in a corner on offense so you're not expending. <laughs> there will, there's going to be a point in his career where he, he, can, he can do that. Like, he'll become this super playmaking four after this current phase, and that could last like four or five years, and then he goes into this phase that you're talking about, that could be two or three years. Like, it's very much set up for him to play till he's 40. It's crazy. As long as he remains healthy, which is, that could end yeah, up being a big Knock year. on wood, but, I mean, the guy, the guy is a machine, obviously. For him to have never had any sort of major health problem to this point, is, it almost defies logic. So what do you do if you're the Celtics in 2018? Who are you letting walk? I'm, or do you I'm let guessing the- at that point you just go all in with Fultz and whatever other young guys you have that you think are intriguing. So like you pivot from this natural competitive state into an actual rebuild again is what you would do? Well, at least you would be like, at least at that point you'd be, a, that's, that's the nice thing about the situation that they put themselves into is at that point, they're already like two years into a rebuild. It's just been happening behind the scenes. So it's not as like drastic and loss-filled as like a Philadelphia 76ers rebuild. Because in two years, or that, that, I guess that's just one offseason away, huh? It, at least you're still, you still have a year of experience with Folds. Yeah, I mean, I guess the, the hope for them should probably be that Smart doesn't cost too much. Maybe you can even extend him for less uh, this off season, and then you probably just see what happens with Bradley and IT, and hopefully you're able to keep one of them, one of them, without the contract being disastrous. Because I, I don't necessarily know that you pivot into a rebuild fully. You're still going to have Horford, and to be honest, I'm not against them using their cap space to sign a star this off season. In that way, you kind of get the best of both worlds. Yeah, I guess a lot of it depends on if they can get somebody this summer. Or even in 2018, they if they plan their yeah. books. Like, it'll be harder because you have the cap holds for um, IT and Avery Bradley, and assuming they're on the roster, you're not going to want to renounce them. I guess the big question is, do you let Thomas go? 
I, I, I think mean, it's that's a, really what it comes down to, right? Yeah, and it probably depends on price, or maybe like him and Fultz turn into these monsters together. Like maybe maybe there's just something where a lot of it will depend on how next season unfolds. Yeah, but I'm I'm still for them going all in on free agency. Um, I mean, if you can, that, again, that's the best of both worlds. If they, and I know this is going to cut you to your core, but if they sign Gordon Hayward, you know, he's, <laughs> he's not the defender that Jimmy Butler is, and you don't necessarily want him on LeBron. But maybe, He's also a lot better on defense than people realize. No, but keep going. he was probably better on defense than Paul George this year. So I think that yeah, would I be. I think he was, that. too. He, he was really good defensively. So, but he's not, you don't want him matched up with LeBron the way that you would want Jimmy or Kawhi matched up with LeBron is my point. But he probably ensures that your offense never goes through these protracted stretches of just complete anemia. Yeah. And then maybe, you know, he's a a phenomenal three-point shooter now. He was, I've never he was draining pull-up threes this year. I don't remember that really ever happening. And he yeah, he he got back to he hasn't had a really like truly good three-point percentage since his first couple years in the league, but he's he was back there this year. So he unlocks your offense, and then again, you're towing that line. You have Fultz, you have Jalen Brown, you have the 2018 Nets pick, and you have all this flexibility. You know, you don't have to pay Thomas Bradley Smart um, just because you'll have Horford and Hayward. Um, and by that point, you have to imagine Jalen Brown will be two years into career, and he'll be better. You still have Crowder. You could still compete in the East while rebuilding. And, and again, that's just the point. Hopefully they land someone in free agency who can make an impact, and then you're still allowed to compete while – I know people would probably be mad if Fultz came off the bench, but I don't think the Celtics have handled Jalen Brown's rookie season poorly at all with him no. coming off the bench. I think he's gotten plenty. He, of he probably will come off the bench at least to start the year, I would think. Yeah. So, and That's then a pretty well established team. Yeah, and then you evaluate the situation again at, at the in 2018, and the goal should be to keep. I would hope if you can afford it, you would want to keep two of Smart, Bradley, or Thomas, but. If there's one of those guys, who are you keeping? Is it Bradley? I feel like he might cost too much. It might just be smart because he'll be the cheapest, even though he can't shoot. He goes through these periods where he can't even run a pick and roll, and he turns the ball over a ton. But it might be him that you have to keep just because he's going to be affordable, and you don't necessarily need... um, You might still need Bradley, actually, because who's going to be your lockdown, too? Well, Smart could do that, right? That's fair. Smart can defend pretty much everybody um i do think there's a chance he goes to boston i know you're you're less um he's watching you're less this. confident in that than me here's but my yeah I, get, I agree i think this is what you're about to say is a big part of it too go ahead he's why are you watching this and like man i need to go to boston <laughs> like, here's here's the only thing that worries me like i agree with that point and i'm seeing a lot of jazz writers and fans saying that over the last couple of days there's no way he can be watching this and thinking that Boston is closer than Utah. Because um, Utah played the Warriors more competitively uh, than, than the Celtics are playing the Cavs right now. But I I really do think there's something to this Brad Stevens connection. Um, I Mark Titus from The Ringer on a podcast recently, he, he actually played high school ball with Hayward. And he said that Hayward is just really loyal to Stevens because Stevens was the first college coach to show any kind of interest in him, even when he was like a 5'10 nobody. And then he, you know, has this growth spurt into a 6'8 guy who's suddenly dominating high school basketball. And he ends up going to Butler instead of Purdue. And I guess his family was like big Purdue fans. And Purdue came in with an offer late, but he goes to Stevens anyway because Stevens was the first guy to show him interest. And I... <laughs> I do think there could be something to that, not to mention the fact that Stevens is just a really good coach, and everybody you hear from who's, who's been coached by him in the NBA loves it too. So as strong as the relationship is with Hayward and Quinn Snyder, and I think it is pretty strong, I, I think there's still maybe a little bit of him that wonders what it would be like to go back to Stevens. I'd be more worried about if he holds any ill will towards the organization for how his restricted free agency unfolded. That's that's what it sounds like um, from the the jazz play by play guy David Locke who does a podcast. I think that's what he's most worried about. And the the other thing is, and I believe it was David Locke that told the story, is Hayward went to the Jazz and said that his last year and said his current level of play was unacceptable, uh-huh. and they basically asked him, "Well, what, what do you want to be?" and 
I think it's great that Hayward showed that initiative, but like, why the hell didn't the Jazz? It, like, did they <laughs> did they just not? Do they keep undervaluing him at every turn? And maybe that's how he feels. Um, again, this is me just pure conjecture right here. Yeah. But if the player's going and saying I need to be this player, why is the team not saying that? So I actually think that story, that story to me kind of supports Utah keeping him because I think. Yeah, I, I've never looked at it from that angle that you just presented, and that is interesting. Um, but there's also a part of me that thinks he's got to realize that those guys that he spent the summer with, assistant coaches like Johnny Bryant and some of the other guys that stayed in Utah with him, they actually did get him to that next level. And so I wonder if he thinks, these guys <laughs> these guys got me to where I'm at right now. Maybe, maybe if I stay, they can take me to another level or something like that, or maybe another summer of work with them is... The other thing is, is if he stays, he's the guy. He's yep. one of the, what is he the third best player in franchise history? Maybe the second, if you want to. He's probably already third. Yeah, he's third, and he'll probably go down to second. Then it's it's just, even if you don't win a title, like you're the guy, like you're the face of that franchise. Even as good as Rudy Gobert gets, people appreciate offense more than defense. That's just how it is. And Hayward's a more dynamic player, just because of what he does on offense now. And when you combine that with his defense. It was so good this year, and he's going to be the face of that franchise. Where if you go to Boston, uh, you're with Isaiah Thomas, and then you'll have a timeshare with Al Horford if it ever, um, if Thomas ever leaves. So yeah, I I definitely agree that he would be, he'd be the man in Utah. It'd be his city, like you said. Um, already probably the third best player in franchise history. One you also mentioned Rudy Gobert, which makes me think of another reason that he might want to stay in Utah. To me. Right now, Rudy is is the star that he would be paired with in Utah. Isaiah is the star he'd be paired with in Boston. And to me, Rudy is just a much better fit stylistically uh, with Hayward. Um, Isaiah is a guy who's going to take the ball out of Gordon's hands uh, on offense. Uh, He's going to be a defensive liability, whereas Rudy doesn't demand the ball at all. Uh, Hayward continues to be able to sort of be the assertive number one guy. Um, He actually covers for Gordon on defense. So to me, those two just fit together a lot better than your top two in Boston would. I agree with that. But one thing that'll be interesting is Hayward might just go to the Jazz and say, you need to pay what it takes to keep Joe Ingles and George Hill. Because if one of them leaves or both of them leave, I don't think the Jazz are nearly as appealing, appealing. Excuse me. So there's, I don't think he leaves. It, there's just too many. If and if there was a threat, I just don't know how you watch Boston right now and are like, damn, I should go there. Here's an interesting question about uh, George Hill. Have you heard the Milos Teodosic rumors? Yes, I've heard a bunch, and the Jazz were mentioned. And he's like, he wants. I think it's whatever his contract is. It's like right in the mid-level exceptions wheelhouse. Yeah. If they paid him the mid-level non-taxpayer exception, it's like exactly what he wants. Be like three. And he said that. Yeah, he said that last year. He said the Spurs and the Jazz were two teams that he would want to play for. The most recent report, the reason it's kind of surfaced again, is David Pick said that most teams expect Utah to float him an offer this summer. He is a massive step down from George Hill in terms of defense, but. at probably like a third of what it would cost to keep George Hill, I I think that's kind of an interesting option. Yeah, but it's like you said with the defense. What if what if Rudy goes down again? You can't just they already yeah. funnel enough guys toward the rim. This is just like he's. I haven't seen a lot of him, but he like is he gonna? How much better than Jose Calderon is he on defense? I <laughs> that I don't know. I think he is. I think he's very good on offense. Yes, I've seen He's it. a great shooter, and he's one of the most creative passers in the world right now. But you know what? The, and, the Jazz don't the, really need that. George Hill's almost perfect because he'll he'll probably yeah. play off the ball more, even more, than Milos. And when you're with Hayward, if he's going to run point forward, it's an interesting option if you're looking at it from like kind of a money ball perspective and you don't want the Jazz to cannonball into the luxury tax. But with if you're Hayward and you see them go with him instead of George Hill... Yeah, it's probably not as appealing to him, especially as since most reports I've seen over the course of the season is that those two got pretty close pretty fast. Yeah, Hill he always said he thinks he's that he thinks that Hayward's harder than Utah. 
So you have to imagine those two will be on the same page. And if that that might be a if Hill leaves, maybe that rubs Hayward the wrong way. Yeah, it's crazy that I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before. Like, it seems like Utah did just about everything right over the last two or three years, and it could all just blow up <laughs> in one summer. The injuries. I mean, that's just like, the nature of the NBA. Right, and it, the injuries didn't help either. You're right. There's just and they're about to get even. Let's say they run it back. Think about how expensive they're gonna get. Rodney yeah, Hood. That's the thing is like they're gonna be super expensive this year. They get more expensive if if Exum is good and if Rodney Hood ends up being good. And you sink all this money into a team that still is like peaking at the same time that the Warriors exist. There's no scenario in which the Jazz just decide to, you know just rebuild around Rudy by their own hand. Is there there, they would be no they, okay. I, priority. Number one is re-signing Hayward. And like, I, I think what they would ideally want to have happen is re-sign Hayward, get George Hill for slightly below what he might get in like Philadelphia or Brooklyn or something, get Joe Ingles for slightly below what he might get elsewhere. But if they, if they are forced to rebuild around Rudy, there are much worse uh, cornerstones to start around. I mean, that guy is a just freakishly impactful player. I, I I think you can definitely build like a championship contending defense around him. Yeah, and it, it'd be a matter of you know if you hit on Hood after Hayward leaves, like that's obviously that's a downgrade. He's not the playmaker Hayward is, but the Jazz could still be a playoff team pretty quickly. If, yeah, if this thing goes to hell, I agree. Now, here's an interesting element to it. There's a lot of pressure on the NBA Finals now because of all of this. And it might not, mm-hmm. it, we not, might not even be talking about just this year, but after watching the Jazz get swept by the Warriors, after watching the Raptors get swept by the Cavs, we're looking at two more likely sweeps, it seems, right now. The Finals have to be good. They, they have yep. to be. <laughs> yeah, this is going to go down as the worst postseason ever if this Finals isn't a classic. I see already so many takes from like friends on Facebook and people have even texted me like, what is wrong with the NBA? I had a friend who uh, worked in the NFL for a little bit and he was just ranting to me in a text message the other day about how much better the NFL is than the NBA and there's no parity in the NBA and the NBA has ruined its league with super teams. And I think it's a pretty common refrain among like casual fans right now. This playoffs has really turned people off. Right. Uh, I, I, I mean, to me, it's hard to see because I, I think the brand, like the way the basketball is being played right now is better than any right. other previous era in my mind. It's not even close. Without question. Um, but people just see the blowouts. And <clears throat> unless you're like a diehard like you and I are, um, it's, it's turning people off. No, I absolutely agree. But for me, and I guess this wouldn't extend to the basic, the casual fan – I want to see how the league reacts to this. Not the NBA itself, but the yeah, teams. other teams. Yeah, it's interesting. I want to see who's gonna who's gonna try and really go for it against the Warriors. I I want to see what's obviously gonna happen to Boston and and the Jazz. I want to see what the Clippers are gonna try and do. I'm interested to see if any teams in the middle decide to go for it because there are these other contenders that are being torn apart, or maybe they just decide to flame out and wait out Golden State's window. Yeah. Is we it, mentioned this on the last podcast too. Like, if a bunch of teams do flame out, it just becomes even more top heavy. Right, which is is a problem. But this is the risk you run when you're dealing with best of seven series. Just because the NFL is set up for mayhem, you have these one off yeah, games, one and done. Yep. And there are so many moving pieces um, in terms of the roster size that they're going to look drastically different elsewhere. It's easier for teams to shimmy in and out of relevancy. It's not mm-hmm. like that in the NBA. And then it's different from hockey and baseball because it's so hard. Um, to, obviously in hockey, every point you score is worth one, like to the game. So you're not, it's harder to build these big leads unless you're, you're mm-hmm. really out playing the teams. And it, it's kind of like that in baseball a little bit. You can have, uh, people on base but to make like a have a meaningful differential like you're not going to have all these three run home runs and grand slams so it's yeah. set up that there can be a, a little bit more unpredictability and in the nba yes it's it's always been more predictable 
but it, it, the style makes it enjoyable. I think the after effects and the aftermath of, of what's hap- of what's happening right now or will happen that will be fun to watch. And with some of these new rules in place, uh, with a designated player extension, we'll, we'll probably see less super teams. So, like moving, you know, forward looking looking really ahead. So I don't think you that's, think the uh, you think the designated player extension will be around for the next CBA. I don't know. That'll be interesting because I don't know if teams are going to want to pay those deals. Yeah, those are that. But, I think that's one very real concern. The other thing, I think there's going to be a, a decent backlash from players about uh, the media having a say in what guys get paid. That's on. The, you know what? They brokered that. I don't. I don't think the media should. Obviously, you want them to take their voting seriously. But like you shouldn't feel. I get that it could be uncomfortable, but you shouldn't feel any differently because the players in the league collectively bargained this. That's I know, but that's that's what I'm saying. Like in the next collective bargaining sessions, I, I wonder if they'll make a stink about that. Because there's already been some players speaking out. Like, it, I mean, it is kind of weird that media voting has made it so that Demar Derozan will get thirty more million dollars on his next contract, and like Paul George won't. Right. There, there's a lot of elements that go into play there. And if they're going to keep the DPEs, you need to get rid of positions on the All-NBA ballot. Just because DeRozan should I have been I agree with that, year. regardless. Yeah. Uh, and you know what? Then t- You have to tie your incentives to something else. It was the same thing with All-Star births. Like, those are too much of a popularity contest. There yep. shouldn't be contract incentives tied to those. And It's uh, too bad they don't just let us pick all these things so it would actually be the correct decisions. Right. And the media is not normally going to get it wrong. I don't think – was there anything egregious in the All-NBA team? DeMar DeRozan was egregious. Right. So – but again, but, that's I mean, 14 of 15. You're going to – and there's one that we can really Yeah, maybe about. that's true. And you know what probably helped him? That Lowry and Paul got injured. I'm not saying that's right, but if they stay healthy, this probably isn't even an issue. Yeah, that's probably true. So I – I'm not worried about the state of the game. I think immediately if you want to look forward, I, I get it. But there's always going to be adjustments, and the players themselves are going to adjust. It's like free agents this year. Like, do you think – have we reached a point where – I know Mark Stein had this after the Raptor series about Kyle Lowry considering to go west. But have you reached the point where it's like you're more scared of going through LeBron than the Warriors and the Spurs, so where we might see free agents flock? Toward the West, we already know Paul George wants to be traded there. Yeah, I'm a. I don't have like numbers in front of me or anything, but it isn't the game way more popular just in terms of ratings than it was like ten or fifteen years ago oh, too. These playoffs, some of the games have set records. It's yeah. So as much as people are like <laughs> complaining on Facebook and sending texts to their NBA writer friends, like maybe it isn't affecting the NBA's bottom line at all. And you I know, know Adam Silver helps? said. Just in the last couple days, that the super teams are good. Right. I don't. I don't necessarily think they're bad for the league either. I, again, I love seeing how everyone else adjusts. But do you know what helps the NBA? It's so. If there was going to be a regular season that was barren of interest or storylines, it was going to be this one. And it was yeah. This regular season was awesome, and, and I think you, a lot of people are already forgetting that. Right. And you build up that goodwill during the regular season, so people are going to tune in during the playoffs. The league doesn't have to worry about anything, and this is. These things are cyclical. Like, there's not dynasties don't last forever; they fall. And there's yeah. So it's not, and it's again, some like something crazy will probably happen within the next four or five years. Some team will crash the party. It almost always seems to happen that way. Right. We didn't. No one really saw the Warriors coming. They came out of nowhere mm-hmm. in 2014, 2015. They Kerr, certainly did. You think about that? That Kerr almost signed with the Knicks. Just I know. Think <laughs> the whole landscape of the NBA could be so much different right now. Right. It's just bizarre he, to think about. Like, yeah. Clearly the Warriors had more talent than the Knicks, but the Knicks were still in his purview. Um, I think... Uh, I think we're I don't, I don't, I was, Yeah, I was going to say, I don't really have anything else to discuss. Um, we'll see. Like we said earlier, Kawhi Leonard is out for Game 3 tonight, so I think we could probably assume the Warriors... Moved to three and zero. I I said this a couple weeks ago. I think both of these teams might get to the finals at twelve and zero. Some people thought I was crazy at the time. It's looking more and more likely every day. And I actually think a little bit of that's 
kind of cool to see two uh, undefeated teams clash in the finals. Hopefully, like we said earlier in the podcast, it ends up being a classic NBA Zaza final. is out for game six, though, so let's hope that that's the difference. In that. Oh, excuse me. Uh, game, I don't know why I said game six, game yeah. three. That'll be the difference. In the yeah, story. maybe that's the equalizer. Um, they could probably start me at center and still win. That's fair. But <laughs> if you want to talk to us about uh, the conference finals, whether or not you think the lack of parity is, is good or bad for the NBA, what will happen in the finals, you can find me on Twitter at Andrew D. Bailey. Dan, of course, is at Dan Favalli, F-A-V-A-L-E. The show's at Hardwood Knox. Uh, as always, we really appreciate ratings, subscriptions, uh, reviews, whatever you want to provide on the, the platform that you listen on. Uh, we're, we're obviously on Blog Talk Radio, Apple Podcasts. Um, Till next time, we leave you with a shout-out to the one and only, the mid-range sniper. The mid-range uh, <laughs> sniper. <laughs> The Gordon Hayward-esque hair game, the lefty, um, I don't have an L word to complete that alliteration, but Bino Udri, the shout out is to you. The iPhone XR is here at T-Mobile, and there's a whole lot to love, like those perfect portrait mode selfies you're going to share. Nice. And how emojis now turn every FaceTime with the kids into fun time. <laughs> In fact, the only thing you'll love more than your iPhone XR is getting it included in the price when you get an unlimited plan. That's right. Get both unlimited and iPhone XR included for just 40 bucks a month. Sure, you can get unlimited somewhere else. But for the same price at T-Mobile, you get unlimited and iPhone XR. Join today and get iPhone XR included with your unlimited plan for just 40 bucks a line for four new lines. Call 1-800-T-MOBILE or visit a store today. $30 for essentials plus $10 for iPhone XR with auto pay and qualifying trade-ins via 36 bill credits. Customers may notice lower speeds and further reduction if using more than 50 gigs per month. Video at 480p for well-qualified buyers plus taxes and fees. Contact us before canceling or remaining balances due. Qualifying service and finance agreements required. Zero down plus $2084 per month for 36 months. Full price $749.99, 0% APR. The iPhone XR is here at T-Mobile, and there's a whole lot to love, like those perfect portrait mode selfies you're going to share. Nice. And how emojis now turn every FaceTime with the kids into fun time. <laughs> in fact, the only thing you'll love more than your iPhone XR is getting it included in the price when you get an unlimited plan. That's right. Get both unlimited and iPhone XR included for just 40 bucks a month. Sure, you can get unlimited somewhere else. But for the same price at T-Mobile, you get unlimited and iPhone XR. Join today and get iPhone XR included with your unlimited plan for just 40 bucks a line for four new lines. Call 1-800-T-MOBILE or visit a store today. $30 for essentials plus $10 for iPhone XR with auto pay and qualifying trade-ins via 36 bill credits. Customers may notice lower speeds and further reduction if using more than 50 gigs per month. Video at 480p for well-qualified buyers plus taxes and fees. Contact us before canceling or remaining balances due. Qualifying service and finance agreements required. Zero down plus $2084 per month for 36 months. Full price $749.99, 0% APR. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.